There may be uh, one or two of you who uh, were eagerly taking notes during that, thinking, that's a good idea. Um, We'll be having ministry at the end. For those of you who feel that those are good tactics to employ in evangelism, by now you've probably uh, gathered that is probably some of the things you should perhaps not do in evangelism. It's quite interesting. A couple of weeks ago, uh, we were invited to a silver wedding anniversary party for some guys that uh, we were at university with. And um, we were introduced to their daughter. And um, it's quite funny when uh, Jill said, oh, by the way, this is Bill that I've told you about. You know, the guy that always used to share the gospel with the gate crashers at our parties. And I kept thinking, yeah, I remember that. And sometimes it bore more resemblance to that. <laughs> than anything actually particularly fruitful. But often, when we hear the term evangelism, sharing our faith, and so on, uh, we can perhaps sometimes be a little bit pressured to perform. We can also perhaps feel a little bit intimidated. And uh, I just wanted to throw a few things out this morning that you may find helpful, you may not. Some of it's a bit practical, some of it will be little stories that you might find inspirational. If I'm actually sharing any stuff which is... Uh, in terms of anything successful or anything that God has done, it's by no means to say, hey, look at me. It's to say, hey, God is on the move. And like David encouraged us earlier, his power is within you. The same God that saw storehouses full of snow and commands the lightning bolts, that same God lives within you by his Holy Spirit, which I think is a great starting point. Um, I'm going to read... Uh, some uh, uh, verses from John's Gospel, chapter 4. This isn't going to be a kind of verse-by-verse exposition, but I do just want to grab a few points out of this story. And uh, it's in John chapter 4, and we'll start at the first verse. It says this, The Pharisees heard that Jesus was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John, although in fact it was not Jesus who baptized but his disciples. When the Lord learned of this, he left Judea and went back once more to Galilee. Now he had to go through Samaria. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about the sixth hour. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into the town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well, and drank from it himself, as also did his sons and his flocks and herds? Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give him will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, 
Give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. He told her, Go, call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, You are right when you say you have no husband. The fact is, you've had five husbands, and the man you now have is not your husband. What you have just said is quite true. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you're a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you Jews claim the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Jesus declared, Believe me, woman, a time is coming when you will worship the Father, neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshippers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for they are the kind of worshippers the Father seeks. God is spirit, and his worshippers must worship in spirit and in truth. The woman said, I know that Messiah, called Christ, is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Then Jesus declared, I who speak to you am he. And then uh, it goes on, basically she goes out and uh, tells people in the town about her encounter with Jesus. And the whole town basically turned to Jesus because of this woman's testimony. And often we can hear this story preached, and I certainly have heard it taught, in terms of it's almost like evangelistically zero to hero in however many verses. That you can often hear... Uh, sometimes and often I have to say evangelists are the culprits that they'll come and they'll preach and you're somehow under the impression that you should be able to walk up to a random stranger in the middle of town engage them in conversation and somehow within the space of 42 verses or whatever it is that actually not only should they be convicted of their sin preferably through a prophetic word but actually their whole neighborhood should be brought out and should turn to Christ and that somehow, if you're not doing that, perhaps you need some training evangelistically. And whilst that's a little bit of a caricature, I have actually been in meetings, and uh, this was a number of years ago, I sat in a meeting, and you might have been in a similar meeting, where somebody said, okay, hands up, who's led someone to the Lord this year? And I'm not going to do this. And kind of, there's a couple of hands go up, and everybody else is kind of sat there thinking, oh dear, oh dear. And then... The command comes and who's going to lead someone to the Lord this year? And you kind of think, well, okay, I've got to put my hand up really, haven't I? And somehow you feel a little bit pressured and then another year passes and you perhaps don't see anybody come to faith and you become discouraged and you become a little bit disappointed. And then you kind of think, well, actually, I found my true gifting, children's work, anything but evangelism. And at least, actually, somebody pats me on the back every few weeks, which is perhaps more fruit than I see evangelistically. And I'm caricaturing it a little. But often, we can get into the realms of discouragement. We can get into the realms of not seeing a lot of fruit. And we can become disappointed and discouraged. And we can become disillusioned. And I wanted to help you with a little bit with that this morning. Um, one of my heroes is Charles H. Spurgeon. Spurgeon. 
And actually, curiously enough, when we went to the, uh, the silver wedding party a couple of weeks ago, um, the, I discovered that the town that my friends had moved to was literally the next village along from Spurgeon's birthplace. So uh, my long-suffering wife came with me in the car while we went and saw it and took a photograph. Uh, but, um, yeah, hey, well, uh, it wasn't much of a diversion. It was literally two minutes up the road. But um, Spurgeon said this. Now, when you hear this, this, this first quote, you, you might kind of like, oh, my word. Uh, someone did actually write an article once entitled, Are You Sure You Like Spurgeon? And he said this. Someone asked, will the heathen who have never heard the gospel be saved? It is more a question with me whether we who have the gospel and fail to give it to those who have not can be saved. Now, you kind of think, what, that is, that's hard hitting. But actually, I think underneath it all, if you unpack for me reading between the lines, if you like, can I paraphrase it another way? What Spurgeon is saying is that actually, in the heart of every genuine born-again believer, there is this inner sense of wanting to share their faith. And that if someone is genuinely born again, that there is something within their hearts that they want to share the good news of Jesus Christ with other people. It's just that often, through discouragement, or through sometimes lack of equipping or whatever, somehow we find it a little bit difficult. But the inner motivation is there, but often, somehow, how to channel it effectively is the thing that's missing. So, look, coming back to our passage, we have Jesus, and it's, it's interesting that it starts off there. The Pharisees heard that Jesus was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John. It's interesting that kind of in our results-driven culture, that we can actually come to, or we can almost feel a little bit under pressure. Oh, so-and-so is getting more, more converts than we are, or this seems to be more successful or whatever. And we can kind of be a bit influenced by that, but I just kind of throw that in. Whereas actually Jesus is, I think, a little bit more focused on faithfulness. And if we focus on the faithfulness, he focuses on the fruitfulness. But actually, how often do the kind of annual review kind of culture uh, and the kind of, are you meeting your targets? And everybody these days is target-driven. How much does that kind of come into kind of what we sometimes feel within the culture of the church? I'm not saying, you know, this, that, you know, anybody, you know that Nigel is coming around with his annual review saying, and how many people have you witnessed to this week? Oh, dear. You know, that wouldn't, you know, it wouldn't happen. Perhaps it does, I don't know. But... Uh, <laughs> But the fact is, it says here that Jesus had to go through Samaria. Now, that's an interesting phrase, because he did, and he didn't. And so, you're probably now looking at me, what do you mean he did or he didn't? The Bible says he had to go through Samaria. Actually, he didn't. Because if you were going from Judea to Galilee, and you were an Orthodox Jew, you would not go through Samaria. The Orthodox Jewish route would bypass Samaria because actually not only would the Jews not talk to Samaritans, not only would they certainly not talk to Samaritan women, they would bypass the entire region. And the route that they would take from Judea to Galilee would take a complete diversion. Jesus says, I'm going through Samaria. And the Bible tells us, He had to go through Samaria. Why did he have to go? He had to go because he knew in his heart that the Father had work for him. He knew that the Spirit was preparing someone's heart 
to receive the word of life. And he knew that he had a purpose and a mission. And so if you want to take the first lesson from this uh, passage, I would suggest that we learn to be intentional about our sharing of the gospel. Because if we don't have an intent about sharing our faith, often it can just go on to the back burner. Now, I can't, uh, Nigel mentioned that um, I, I, I'm part of Hope Church in Worcester and I function as an evangelist. Now, actually, I work part-time for the church. I do a bit of part-time itinerant stuff, traveling around other churches, both equipping and sharing the gospel. But I'm also involved in business as well. Now, if I don't keep looking for new business at the forefront and kind of just think, well, that's fine. I can hide behind my computer doing emails. I'm not going to get very far. But I have to have in the back of my mind, I'm looking for opportunities. Now, sometimes opportunities don't come. And we all know in that kind of uh, perspective that we saw on that video clip, that's the kind of thing that makes people wince. But yet, if you have in the back of your mind... God, today I want to be fruitful for you, and you have that at the forefront of your mind, and you have an intent that you know that, God, I'm I'm available to you, and that you have people out there whose hearts you're working on, would you please lead me to them, and you keep your eyes and ears open, I think you will surprise yourself how many opportunities you will notice. But the key is one of intent. And Jesus had intention in his heart. He deliberately went through Samaria and he found this woman that God was preparing. Now, the other thing that I would like to um, mention to you, if I was to suggest to you that we all go down in a little while, that we're kind of actually going to do some practical exercises, that we go down into the middle of Wrexham and we go and ask complete strangers for money, most of you will go, Oh, my word, I'll take sharing my faith as the easy option. Because most of us think going up and asking total strangers for money, that is just like... But if I said to you, actually, each of you, I'd like you to take a collecting tin, and on the collecting tin is clearly emblazoned the the logo Make-A-Wish Foundation, and all the money that you raise will go to uh, fulfilling the wishes of terminally and uh, critically ill children, most of you would go, yeah, okay, I could do that. Now, what I've given you there is, rather than just a task which you think, oh my word, mm, I've actually given you a cause. And it's a cause which most people think, actually, terminally ill children, take him to Disneyland, whatever. Yeah, that's a good cause. I could quite happily go out and shake the tin for that. And actually, most people will look and think, yeah, terminally ill children, I'll give a quid or whatever. You'll often find that. And what I'm suggesting to you is actually the cause of Jesus Christ is worth shaking the tin for. Okay, you're not actually going out shaking the tin, but you know what I'm saying. And the thing is, is that often we forget, because Jesus comes and he says to this woman, you know, if you knew who was sitting here, you would ask of him and he would give you living water. You see, often we forget how good the gospel is. It's living water that feeds the thirsty soul. And if you want to have evidence of how the gospel works, look in the mirror every morning. Because if the gospel worked for you, 
it can work for your friends. And so often, we can be around people and we can think, no, they would never be interested or the gospel wouldn't work for them. And we prejudge people. In the same way, I find that actually in business, I can prejudge people and think, well, actually, they might not be interested in that or they might not be interested in that. I've just got to keep an open mind and keep open ears and open eyes. And I would suggest with the gospel, it's good to do that too. That actually, the gospel has saving power. It saved you and it will save countless others in this town as well. And so we can be expectant that God will bring people around our path. Can I suggest actually that often we talk about, and you know, people will say, well, you know, have, have you witnessed today or I witnessed to someone? I'm going to be slightly controversial. This is partly because I'm entering my now grumpy old man phase. Um, you, know, I, I, you, know, you know this phrase, where, you know, the, the you know, grumpy old man where they kind of you know, go and have a whinge about stuff. And I, I do find myself that now kind of I've got to middle age, which Terry Wogan once said the middle age chat-up line was, do I come here often? And, you know, kind of the, actually, I found that I've entered a certain place in life um, where... Uh, I, I go on a little bit of a rant, and my rant for you is this. Now, I'm going to leave it to you as to whether you think, hey, that's theologically correct or not. I would like you to ban the phrase witnessing from your vocabulary. Now, uh, I'm just observing the look of shock on one or two faces as people are thinking you're an evangelist, and you've just told us to ban the phrase witnessing from our vocabulary. The trouble is, is that often we talk about I witnessed to someone today or I witnessed to somebody at work last week. Now, what that does is that kind of confines the act of being a witness into just sharing our faith with someone. Actually, what Jesus said, he says, you are my witnesses. Now, I would like you, possibly if you remember two things about this morning, remember... Don't witness, you are a witness. Because the fact is, is that when you get up tomorrow morning and you go to work or you go to the school gate or you go to college or you go to whatever it is you do, whether you open your mouth or not, you are a witness. And God has called you to live out your lives as fragrances of Jesus. Now, to some people, you are the fragrance of life. To the others, you are the fragrance of death. Actually, 1 Corinthians 3 uh, tells us that, sorry, big pun, 2 Corinthians 2 tells us you smell. (laughs) Because actually it says you are the fragrance of Christ. Now, some people like the smell, others don't. But the fact is, by simply turning up, by simply living your life, You are a witness. You've seen what God has done in your own life. Now, I know people who have been witnesses. They've gone, they've been called to a trial, but they've never actually been called upon to give their testimony. They were a witness to the event. They just never gave their testimony. But what I'm saying is this, is that actually I believe biblically, and it will take the pressure off you if you think, I am a witness. Now, you can either be a good witness or a bad witness, depending on how you live your life. But actually, the fact that you live your life glorifying Jesus, you love him, you do your job to the utmost of your ability, you look to serve people, 
you're a good witness. And that impacts people. And that's fruitful for Jesus. But actually, there will be times when God calls on you to give testimony. Now, I'm not just playing about with words, but if you think about that, that will be releasing for you. Because actually, you won't be under the pressure and under condemnation coming back thinking, I didn't witness today. You can come back home thinking, I was a witness today. Thank you, Jesus. But if you head out of the door every morning saying, Father God, I am looking to have intent in my heart to be open to opportunities you give. I want to say thank you that I am a witness. But Lord, I want you to know that I am ready that if necessary, I will give testimony to who you are and what you've done in my life. And sometimes God will ask you to do that. There will be other times when he won't. And if you've not read uh, Bill Hybels' book, Just a Walk Across the Room, it's a great book. And Bill Hybels is a guy who doesn't just talk the talk, he actually walks the walk evangelistically. And he tells the story of actually, he tells many stories about how God used him to share his faith. But there was one where he, he was just puzzled because he, he was saying, God, he was going in for a haircut. And basically his, his heart was, God, I want to share my faith. I want, to, I want an opportunity to testify. I'm here. I'm ready. And the, the person who was cutting his hair, they weren't even so much talking to him about. You know, it was the occasional um, converse, uh, question about a holiday or whatever. But actually, it, it wasn't really engaging with him. She was more interested in talking to the person next door and to the other person cutting the person's hair next door. And he just didn't get an opportunity. And he was slightly puzzled. And, 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 and all said to God outside, well, I was ready and I just didn't get the opportunity. So that's okay. Just didn't want you to there. You kind of think, well. But sometimes, you know, we come under condemnation. Now, Steve Hill actually said, I'm not going to say that, and that he was the guy who was the major evangelist in the Pensacola revival back in the 90s. And he said, I'm not going to say that you should tell everybody that you're a Christian or that you should necessarily share your faith with everyone. But he said, you should share your faith when God gives you an opportunity. So I'm asking you, please, to make a distinction between opening your mouth and the fact that you live as a witness and your life has value and your life has impact. And only eternity will know the lives that you've impacted and influenced for the gospel just by being who you are. But yet... If you have that in mind and you combine that with intent, you can then find that you can be useful in giving testimony as well. Now, Jesus engages this woman. Fairly ordinary conversation. Would you like a drink? Or rather, would you get me a drink? I have to say, actually, I... I, um, after a couple of years of realizing that I was relying on my wife to invite our guests to Alpha, which is not good for a church evangelist, I kind of thought, actually, I probably need to invite someone this year. Because two years running, it was my wife who got the, uh, got the guest and kind of, yeah, it, it's okay. Because it's kind of like, not guilt by association, it's success by association. Because, you know, we turn up, we've got a guest. And, you know, kind of, it, it, you know, everybody thinks that's all right. The blows, they've got a guest and they think Bill must be, you know. But actually, no, it's Rachel's got the last couple. So I, I kind of thought, no, 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 I must get a guest. And uh, a guy that I've been playing golf with and doing a bit of business with, uh, we, we had, I, I, I kind of thought, Lord, I want to invite him. And we had a, com a Christian comedian coming. 
Actually, my line was as simple as this. Tim, do you enjoy a laugh? And he said, yeah, I do. He said, do you like comedians? Yes, I do. Now, I have to say, this is, a, this is a situation where we're already in a kind of invitational relationship anyway. He'll invite me to stuff. I'll invite him to stuff, Yeah, whether it's golf or whatever it is. And we're already on good terms that kind of a no isn't going to offend because we know that other stuff's going to sometimes come in the way or it might not be to each other's taste. But, you know, you can cultivate relationships with people that way. And I just said to him, do you like a laugh? He said, yeah, I do. Do you enjoy a good comedian? Yeah, I do. We've got this supper coming up. We've got a comedian coming. He's very good. And one of the things he'll be doing is he'll be promoting a little course that we're doing. Now, you may or may not be interested in the course, but kind of at the end of what he's uh, gonna, uh, his performance, he's going to say a few things. Do you want to come? He said, yeah. He said, all right, if I bring my girlfriend. I thought, two for the price of one. I look even better. So, you know, um, but actually he had to do the inviting. Now, the interesting thing was... I went to a business seminar with him at the football ground. Now, believe it or not, Worcester does have a football ground. They're not very good, I have to say. Blue Circle League, whatever it was. But um, uh, the, um, we went to this thing, and um, there was another guy there. And, and uh, we just about finished up. I said, do you fancy going to the pub for a, a, a pint? So we went across the road. And um, a lot of people in the church say, oh, I find it very difficult to invite people to Alpha. And people don't want to come. Now, I am in the bar. I'm not taking part in this conversation. Tim and this guy, Andy, Tim is my non-Christian friend who's on Alpha. He's not yet saved. Andy is a guy who's a mutual business contact. And Tim says to Andy, he says, Andy, have you heard of the Alpha course? Andy says, I think I have heard about it. What is it? Just to be sure. And and Tim says, it's a thing. It's, It's about finding out about Christianity. It's really good. Bill does it. You ought to come. And Andy turns to me. He says, what night's it on, Bill? I said, well, it's on Wednesday night. And he says, wow, Wednesday, I coach football on Wednesday nights. Do you do it on another night? And I'm thinking, this non-Christian mate of mine has just made a mockery of all the excuses I'm ever hearing about. Oh, I can't invite people to Alpha. People aren't interested. And I thought, ah. Now, Tim made it through our Alpha course unscathed. He did not get converted. (laughs) But he missed a couple of the sessions. And he lives in Malvern, and we've got a church plant in Malvern. So I said to him, Tim, do you fancy going to the sessions you missed and going to the Alpha course? So I took him along to the first week of Alpha at Malvern. And I was going to be doing one of the talks later on. So I said, look, I'm going to be doing a couple of the talks anyway, so why don't you come? Anyway, he came. So about a week after, so I ran into Andy Barnett. This is another Andy. He said, we were chatting about Alpha, and I was telling him how good it was, and he's coming with me next week. And I'm thinking, man, this guy is not even saved, and he's inviting more people to Alpha than a lot of people I know. Why? Possibly because he just doesn't have the inhibitions. Why? Possibly because he hasn't been listening to all the things. Well, people aren't interested. But he meets people, he's engaged with them, and he's somewhat excited. He says, do you want to come on this course? And so Jesus has a course because he said, if you knew who was sitting here, you would ask of him and he would give you living water. And this is a guy who hasn't even cottoned on that it's living water. All he knows is that actually Alpha's quite a good evening. They feed you, you get a good talk, nice little discussion after. And he just talks to people and he asks them. I think, wow. So on the one hand, I'm saying, Don't get fixated with opening your mouth. Know that you're called to be a witness. But do have some intent and just be open to where there's an opportunity. Because actually some people will be 
open and some people won't be. But don't feel under pressure because actually the results belong to God. Now, I'm not going to go on for much longer, but it is interesting how Jesus kind of turns the conversation because he uses the supernatural. And often, and it's great to use logic, and it's great to, and I, th- I think it's wonderful, you know, we have some uh, great uh, guys who are very good at apologetics, we have some great guys who are good at presenting the gospel, that's all brilliant. But actually, God gave us that, but he also gave us the power of God. And I love the fact that uh, David quoted the verse in John's gospel where it says, Jesus said, I tell you the truth, anyone who has faith in me will do, the, will do what I've been doing. He will do even greater things than these because I'm going to the Father. And so often we forget that. I was um, at a conference. There were four of us went from the church. And uh, this is a few years ago now. Um, but it's an interesting little anecdote. Uh, we booked ourselves into a B&B. Actually, I should say my friend booked us into the B&B because it was a pretty run-down B&B. And so we gave him a bit of stick for that because actually his, his taste is quite good. In, you, know, you, you would think, you know, who should we leave to organize the accommodation? Bruce, he'll book us into somewhere decent. No, it wasn't. We all had, we, four of us shared the room, I think with various different insects, but there we go. <laughs> But um, we went to this conference, and we'd been there, I think, two or three nights. But certainly, I think it was certainly the third breakfast we were there for. And uh, the, the lady who was the landlady who ran the B&B had bandages all the way up her legs. And on the third breakfast, my friend Brian, as she was serving us breakfast, said to her, what's the matter with your legs? And I could see where this was going. I was sat there, tucking into my full English, thinking, I know where this is going. And he was saying to her, do you know, God could heal you of that. And you know, she's due to be going in for an operation, bandages all the way up, very obviously in pain. And he said, God could heal you of that. Bill will pray for you. <laughs> there we go. The interesting thing is, there in the middle of breakfast, in the middle of the dining room of the B&B, having been thrown into this situation, I laid hands on her and she was instantly healed. She then asked me, because it's interesting actually, you know, this woman then gets into all the theological stuff as well, you know, you Jews say we should worship on this mountain and we say we should worship on, which is it? She then asked me a very interesting, deep theological question about healing to which I was flummoxed. Now, I know with most of you, you feel a little bit reticent about laying hands on anybody or because you know, you're, you're, you're a little bit concerned that they might raise a little issue that you might... She asked me this question, which I found very, very difficult. She said, you've been here for three days. Why didn't you pray for me before? Ooh. And in my heart, I thought, it's because I'm a stinking coward. That's why. But, you know, you don't really want to share that. <laughs> but it was interesting because she was then very open to the gospel. And with the whole, we've been doing this thing as a family of churches called Front Edge, where we've been doing uh, a lot of outreaches. Uh, there's, there's kind of like a day of training. Uh, and then we do kind of concurrent gospel outreaches on the Sunday. And it's been my privilege to be involved in a number of those. 
And just the last one of those uh, that I did, we, uh, and again, it's, it's, if I love to take my wife somewhere. She'd have loved to have come today, but her father died just recently, so she's kind of caught up with some family stuff. Um, but often, if she can't come with me, she'll send me a couple of words of knowledge by text. Which I think it's quite cool, really. And she sent me one of these about um, uh, 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 somebody who had hip and back problems caused by trauma. So not degenerative, but caused by trauma. And so slightly joking, I said, oh, my wife sent me the, this text message, by the way. There's somebody here. And this guy put his hand up, and he said, that's me. Young South African guy on Alpha, second week, wondering if there was a God who loved him and might heal him. And he'd been involved in a, a motorbike accident a few years ago, and it had caused him hip and back problems. And he was very emotional while he was sharing what the problem was. And he was even more emotional when God healed him instantly. But he was very open. The whole sort of, it, I tell you, preaching the gospel into that context is quite different to when you're preaching the gospel. You know, there, was, there was another woman that I met an, uh, a while ago that somebody referred me on to. Due to arthritis, she'd not been out of her flat for six months. We went and we prayed for her, and she was able to walk down the street to the shop for the first time in six months. So he said, look, something's happened to you. We do this course. It's called Alpha. It might explain to you some of the stuff that's happened to you. Do you want to come? It wasn't too much of an easy... It wasn't too... She didn't argue. But the fact is, is that you have this immense power within you. And yet often you'll discount yourself. Because actually, it is interesting. When uh, Peter and John saw the man healed at the Gate Beautiful, Peter said this to the crowd. It's quite interesting because he says, actually... Why, first, the first thing he says is, why, is this, why does this surprise you? Which I think that's, I think that's, high, I think that's really funny. You know? yeah, this, this guy who's been crippled for years, he's, he's jumping around. And Peter, the first thing he says is, why does this surprise you? Every day event, really? Jesus heals. And you know, actually, I kind of, yeah, I'd be a bit surprised to be truthful. But yet, then he comes up with this corker. He says, why are you looking at us as if by our, it's by our own power or godliness that we made this person walk? Now, actually, we believe that. We believe in grace, in healing. We believe it's the sovereignty of God. We believe it's God's power, and it's God that does it. But how often do we think grace, but live legalism and live works? So, and don't get me wrong, I'm kind of making a point here, and I'm kind of accentuating something to make the point, because I believe in sanctification, I believe in godly living, but how often do we think, well, God won't use me because I only read three verses this morning instead of the six that was on my Bible reading notes. And actually, I wasn't very kind to the cat on my way out to work. And actually, really, kind of, you know, we actually think it is by our own power or godliness that we made this person walk. But actually, the Bible says it's not. It's all down to him. And so, in a sense, I would like to just... Shuffle that one round in your spiritual brains a little bit, thinking that actually it isn't by our own power and godliness. Now, for me, it's healing. I love healing. I kind of find the whole thing totally thrilling. Some of you might find that a little daunting, but actually you're much better than I would ever be at prophecy. And you come to a Sunday morning meeting and you'll kind of be alert and open for a prophetic word. Why not? Do the same for some of your workmates. And you, know, you don't have to say, oh, by the way, thus saith the Lord, whatever, whatever, whatever. 
Though actually, I do have a friend who did that. And curiously enough, he was running a course for British Airways Executive Club. And um, he felt that God gave him a prophetic word for a guy that was on the seminar. And over a cup of coffee, he said, look, this is going to sound slightly strange. But he said, I'm a Christian. I believe that God speaks today. And I believe that he shared something with me about you. Gave him, uh, shared with him something. The guy put his coffee cup down, turned on his heel and walked out of the room. And Adrian thought, oh, I've blown that. But then when they broke for lunch, which was a buffet at the pub next door, the guy who he'd slightly avoided, it has to be said, when he came back into the session, you know, he was kind of avoiding eye contact, whatever. During the lunch in the pub, the guy got his knife, banged on the side of his glass. said, by the way, he said, I just want to mention to you guys something that happened this morning. He said, Adrian said that he was a Christian and that God speaks to him and... He told me some stuff that nobody but nobody could have known about my life. So I'd like Adrian just to take a few minutes just to tell us about this God that he believes in. (laughs) Now, this is one guy taking his faith in his hands and going for it. And it had an impact. Now, you you might get it wrong, you might not, but yeah... So, yeah, you've got, to, you've got to be careful, you've got to work it through, you've got, to, you've got to practice proficiency, so go along to the prophetic seminar, get good at moving in your prophetic gift, and don't just restrict it to the church. Use the supernatural, because God designed the gospel, he didn't design it, to be accompanied by signs and wonders. You know what I mean. And I would just like to encourage you, and the, the contribution this morning were great. It's good to have the stuff about God's provision and everything. But I, I just felt that there was just a little bit of an emphasis in David's contribution about the power of God in you. And even if you kind of think, you know, some of you are, are even right now thinking, yeah, but what if they don't get healed? To which I perhaps say, yeah, but what if they do? And the other thing is, is that a friend of mine and it was in the context of a meeting, so it's slightly different. Ended up praying for a disabled child with his parents there. And he said it was quite an interesting experience because he said, I put my hand on thinking, how do I pray? And he said, nothing came out except he said, I just cracked up into tears and just blubbered. It wasn't even a coherent prayer. All he did was put his hand on the kid's shoulder and blubbed like a baby. And inwardly, he's thinking, what on earth is going on? What are these people going to think? This is not God's man of power for the hour. And when he regained his composure a little, the mother hugged him and said, thank you so much for caring. People have such low expectations sometimes out there. A, they might just be caught slightly unawares if you say, well, could I pray for you? You know, they share a situation or they share something. You say, could I pray for you? They might actually, they, they think possibly you're going to go and then before you put your, night, your, your light out at night, you're going to kneel down by your bed and say one for them. Uh, so actually, if you say, well, okay, let's pray now, that might kind of, oh, haha. But if God answers, I had a friend who lived next door to me. Uh, he moved when I think I was about 15, uh, no, 14. And he was a couple of years younger. His father moved. He was a bank manager. And he ended up at the same university as I did, but a year behind. 
And it was interesting because by this time he was an avowed atheist. One of my friends from the church lived in his flat. And it was one of these things where they share kitchen and bathroom, but there's a number of individual study bedrooms. Apart from the fact that Robert had to share, he was the one shared bedroom. And he had the roommate from hell. Not that kind of roommate from hell, but he really he was antisocial, obnoxious, really difficult. And he was getting to the end of his tether. He tried all avenues. The university said, we can't move you. There's no spaces available. He was getting to the end of his tether. Miles said to him, can I pray? And, and Robert was just sharing his heart, saying, look, this, and, and Miles, instead of just saying, there, 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 said, look, can I pray for you? Now, Robert the atheist said, all right. Miles prayed for him. The next morning, Miles is in his study bedroom working. There's a knock on the door and Robert comes in. And he uttered the immortal phrase, he answered. Because actually, he'd received a call, the union had managed to move him. Now, part of me, the slightly cheeky part of me, wants to say to him, but you're an atheist. Who answered? But nonetheless, this is a guy, oh, I'm an atheist, I'm an intellectual. No, I don't believe that there's God. And so part of us would then think, oh, no, I can't pray for him. Miles said, no, can I pray for you about that? Empathy. Getting alongside him. And then the following day, he answered. Now, I'd suggest to you that Robert had moved up the spiritual scale a little bit. And often in evangelism, we will focus too much on the fruit and people being born again. Yes, we want to see people being born again, but actually God just asks you to be faithful in the stage where you're at. And if your particular forte is just getting alongside someone, asking them for coffee and giving them the shoulder to cry on and praying for them, so that then somebody else can come along and lead them through to new birth, Hey, that's success in evangelism. Because actually, Jesus himself, when he's doing his little debrief with the disciples, that's what he says to them after. One sows, another reaps. Because actually, when we hear this passage, sometimes we can think, zero to hero, wow, that's how the master, but I could never do that. Well, actually, Jesus says, if you think about it, when he's going through this woman and she says, I know that Messiah is coming. You won't actually meet a lot of people in your day-to-day job who will turn around and say, you know, I know Messiah's coming, but you know. So you see, all that Jesus does is say, well, I who speak to you am he. But actually, with some of you, you, you guys you know, they don't even know that the Messiah's coming. But if you're, you just by your love, your kindness, your witness, your occasional testimony, perhaps your word of prayer, perhaps you're praying for them, perhaps you lay hands on them, if they've moved up the scales so that subsequently someone else reaps the harvest, that is success in evangelism. So I'd like to encourage you, have some intent. Be open. Engage with people. Ban the word witnessing from your vocabulary and remember that you are a witness. But be prepared to give testimony when required. Always be prepared to give an account. And if you have to kind of rehearse a few lines to yourself so you feel comfortable with them, do it. There's nothing wrong with that. Far better than, say, when somebody says, what do you believe? Well, we believe in this really odd stuff. You know, like speaking in tongues. Or, you know, blah, blah, blah. No, no, no. Get yourself a little gospel presentation that you can give to somebody. Don't be afraid of the supernatural because God has put his Holy Spirit within you. 
and the whole thing of evangelism, it's a process. Some of you came to Christ over a long period of time. Why do you get discouraged when your friend hasn't got saved overnight? Father, we're here before you now. And Lord, we're asking you, would you remind us how great that power is that you've put within us, how wonderful the gospel is. And Lord, we we give ourselves to you and say, Lord, in this coming week, would you stir our hearts so that we've got a measure of intent to look for opportunities? Lord, would you just give us a sense of assurance that as we live our lives, we are witnesses for you? Would you give us attentiveness to see opportunities, boldness to take them, And Lord, would you cause us to be stirred to see the supernatural become part of our everyday life and witness for you in Jesus' name. And so Lord, we just ask you, would you help us to be faithful and we commit the fruit to you in Jesus' name. Amen.